with everybody tonight. <clears throat> um, jumping on a little bit late, but uh, thankful for the opportunity to be back with you tonight. I'm going to pick it back up in our uh, study through the book of John. <clears throat> we'll uh, um, pick up right here in uh, chapter number two here in just a few minutes. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive on into the Word. Uh, but we appreciate <clears throat> the opportunity to be with you tonight. Hope and trust that you're doing well this week. Um, let's continue to remember all those that are uh, sick and in need of prayer. Uh, a lot in the church, a lot outside the church. Um, everybody uh, just needs to continue steadfastly in prayer. Um, a lot of things, a lot of needs, our nation and our country. Um, but uh, I'm satisfied and uh, <clears throat> know that God can and will provide uh, and so we're trusting him for that tonight. So let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive on in to uh, John chapter number two. Our Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for this privilege and this opportunity, God, to assemble ourselves together, Lord, in thy presence. We pray, God, that, Lord, that you would bless and touch those that are sick uh, and afflicted, those needy, those in the hospitals and the nursing homes, uh, those much less fortunate. We pray, God, that you'd be the God of all grace, mercy, and love, God, that you're uh, wonderful mighty hand of grace might uh, outstretch and uh, be an ever-present help in the time of need. And God, we know that you can and that you will. We pray, Father, uh, Lord, that you'd help us tonight, God, as we read and study through thy word, God, that we would rightly divide thy word, that we'd be good stewards over thy word, uh, that we would open our hearts, uh, Lord, and let you speak uh, uh, to us and through us, uh, God, that we might be a help, a blessing, and encouragement. Teach us tonight, Father, we pray. Uh, Lord, Just uh, we pray, God, for our nation, for our country, for our leaders. We pray most of all, God, for those that uh, are nearest hell, God, and in need of a Savior, uh, and do not know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. Our earnest heart's desire is uh, for them to be gloriously saved by thy wonderful and amazing grace. We know that, God, that it's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we're... Uh, uh, trustfully and faithfully believing your word tonight. You said, God, in your word that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. And we believe it tonight, God. We just pray, Father, Lord, that uh, thy mighty guiding hand, God, would watch over, keep us, and care for us. We'll thank you and praise you, God, for what you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Getting on with the teaching tonight. <clears throat> We're again the... Uh, 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 Good Lord being our helper, we're going to work our way through the Gospel of John. What a wonderful and amazing book that it is. We, uh, It took us three weeks to get through the first chapter, but we're going to try and try, uh, uh, our, maybe make short work of uh, chapter two tonight. A very wonderful chapter, <clears throat> but uh, I think it's probably some ground that we can cover uh, relatively quickly, uh, and we just want to go as fast as the Lord wants us to go, and as, uh, as slow as He would allow us. But in John chapter number 2, we pick up right here. I'm just going to start reading verse number 1. I'm going to read just right now the first 12 verses. Uh, and after we uh, work our way through that, um, if time shall stand, we'll uh, get the remainder of the chapter. But uh, in Gospel of John chapter number 2, verse number 1, in the third day, uh, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto his servants, Whatsoever he saith uh, unto you, do it. And there were set there uh, six water pots of stone after the, uh, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was uh, made wine, uh, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth, uh, doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, <clears throat> then that which is worse, uh, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This, be this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, uh, and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down into Capernaum 
he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. <clears throat> All right, <clears throat> as we get into this right here, uh, and I'm sure that you've heard this preached on numerous times. Uh, I myself have preached on this several times. But we get into this, and we see that this right here is the inception, the incarnation, uh, and this is the very first miracle that Jesus performs at, at the beginning of his public ministry right here. So uh, we get down to the to the wedding supper of the marriage of, uh, of Cana of Galilee, <clears throat> and the Bible says the third day there was a marriage of Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, uh, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. There's a lot of people, they uh, dig into this right here. And obviously we find where the disciples, Jesus himself and his mother, uh, uh, whether they were affiliated with the bridegroom, with the bride, <clears throat> or they were just down there helping out with the wedding, the scripture is not clear, uh, nor does it say why they were there, but we do know that they were there. Uh, and, and we have this circumstance and, uh, arise where uh, basically we have this uh, the bridal procession uh, and the weddings are uh, a lot done uh, uh, in, in Jewish history. They're carried out a, a lot different than we're ever uh, acclimated uh, to doing or seeing. But uh, we see where they would come together, they would worship for a week <clears throat> or they would celebrate the wedding for a week. And during, through this celebration process, we see that now uh, where they had been called in, we see uh, Jesus, the apostles, and Mary. And the Bible tells us right here in verse number three, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. <clears throat> so they had exhausted everything that they had. Uh, and so Jesus, this right here is when Jesus is prompted by his mother. Now, uh, we get into this <clears throat> later right here uh, in, in the latter portion of this chapter of chapter number two, but uh, it serves its purpose right here as well. Uh, the the the, Jew, the Hebrew and the Jewish mindset of the coming Messiah uh, was a lot like uh, the Mosaic, and when we when we we say the Mosaic, we go back to Moses, the the children of God, the people of Israel. They they cried for a, a redeemer. They cried for somebody to carry them out of their bondage, and because and, and so forth. And that God delivered unto them Moses, and, and, Mo, and Moses delivered them out of the land of Egypt. He carried them across the Red Sea. We understand that because of their willful disobedience. We preached on this Sunday morning because of their willful disobedience. Uh, God, uh, we have the wandering of the wilderness, which is, uh, uh, or the wilderness age, which is uh, uh, theologically referred to. But we get down to that point right there where we see uh, that, they, uh, that the generation perished uh, because God executed uh, every man twenty years, uh, uh, every man twenty years old and older, uh, were killed in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness, because of their unbelief, because uh, they had rejected. When we see the erection of the golden calf and all the things that were uh, th that were uh, contained in this, we see that their just blatant rejection and that where they had walked away uh, from the promises of God, they just witnesses all these ten wonderful miracles. Uh, that God had performed, that he delivered them from the hand of their captor in which they had been in bondage for 430 years. And in all those things, the only thing that they wanted to do when they got out is they wanted to return back. Uh, and friends, listen, I just want to say this today and not to re-preach what I preached on Sunday morning, uh, but we see this regressive attitude, uh, especially posturing today in today's society, in today's church uh, people always want to go back to what they uh, once had. They want to go back to what they once were. Uh, but friends, listen, when the Bible teaches about uh, a transformation that transpires, when we are born again, we'll talk about this language in the third chapter of the book of John when Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. When we see this, we see uh, when Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, he said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We understand uh, when the text is telling us these things that we are to embrace. Listen, when we are justified and set free from our sins, there is a legal pardon that transpires on behalf of God through His Son, the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we by faith believe on and in His mediatorial sacrifice and the atonement that was, uh, that was given to us on the cross of Calvary, when we believe in these things, we are then pronounced justified, which is a legal declaration. It's a proclamation that is made that sets people at liberty. But friends, listen, uh, and I'm not diverting here, 
But when we get to this, understand this, this liberty aspect and this freedom aspect, uh, listen, we discussed this last night, and I'm going to just take time right here, and it may not fit right here, and I understand that, but I want to take time and say this, friends, listen, people need to carefully address how they define being saved. Uh, listen, we need to make sure that our biblical definition of, of being saved or salvation is scripturally founded. Uh, listen, there's a lot of people, they, they have this uh, mentality and definition of salvation. Is this uh, uh, a momentary emotional experience? Listen, emotional experience can be uh, formulated or derived in, in any set of circumstances. We can set the atmosphere and the ambience, and we can, we can pull tears, and we can do all these things. But, friends, listen, uh, uh, because of this emotional experience does not mean that an actual transaction transpired and a declaration of justification was professed into a believing saint where they are now in allegiance with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, listen, and they have uh, uh, they have forsaken the old things, they've repented, and they purpose in them lives to walk in newness of life. I said all that because we kind of diverted topic right here, but listen, <clears throat> when I w the reason all this came up is because I was talking about Moses. But we get back into Moses right here. Moses was uh, an antitype of Christ as the deliverer. But when we see that Moses is depicted right here, Moses is depicted, he came and he literally, uh, literally uh, uh, leads the people out of Egyptian control and he sets them into a place of liberty. If they had only abided and been faithful to God's command, they could have walked out of Egypt into Canaan. And God would deliver uh, every single circumstance and every battle. God had told them, he said, I have given you the land to go possess it. And friends, listen, we need to understand this. Just because God has given us the land does not mean that there won't be battles and struggles in our way to possessing what God has promised us. Amen. I, listen, I, 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 we need to understand a lot of times we only focus on the rose petals, but there's thorns on the roses. Uh, and, I, and, I've, and I've said this a multitude of times, friends, listen, we, we only focus on the rose petals. We Listen, we, our minds are so, uh, are so short that we're drawn away so instantaneously. Uh, listen, when the thorns arise, uh, a lot of times they, they uh, listen, uh, in a lot of circumstances to a lot of people, they choke people out. But friends, listen, we need to have persistence of him to understand, and we need to realize and understand that these wounds, that these battle scars, and all these things that we experience as we go through our Exodus journey, as we are leaving Egypt and headed to Canaan, that they are all part of the process. But God has promised a rest for the people of God. But listen, we get into this and we see where the Hebrew and the Jewish mindset was that the Messiah uh, would be, uh, listen, a literal physical antitype of Moses. So he, listen, and we apply that uh, from Moses' day into Jesus' day. So we get into Jesus' day. What does that mean for the New Testament Jewish uh, uh, Christian church? What does that mean to them? Well, they're under Roman control and Roman dominion. Because they're under Roman control and Roman dominion, uh, their mindset thinks that, that the Messiah will deliver them out from under the burden of the Roman control, and he will establish David's throne, that he will reestablish all things, and he will deliver them from this current state and set them back see their mentality their thought process was they were that the messiah would carry them to a canaan or edenic like state and that's what they were looking for and listen i don't think that that thought process and that mentality even though that mary was the mother of jesus i think her mentality i think her thought process was as the same and that's why she called christ the lord jesus she called him out of this and said uh, listen go get jesus they have no wine she said we'll go get jesus and Jesus arises and he said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. That's what he said in verse number four. And there's a lot of people, they, uh, they contrive a lot of controversy over this. But friends, listen, what he was ultimately saying is the climax, uh, listen, the climax of my ministry is not yet. He wasn't telling her that it's not time. If it wasn't time for him to do anything, he wouldn't have done anything. So we see Jesus right here, and Jesus makes this declaration. He said, listen, my time is not yet coming, or the climax, which is the death, burial, and the resurrection. This is the finality, the climax, the pinnacle and the peak of the Messiah. So friends, listen, he just makes the declaration, mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto his servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. 
<clears throat> listen, she had enough confidence and wherewithal to understand the fact that when Jesus had made a declaration and he had purposed to go do something, she knew who he was. Amen. Uh, listen, she remembered 30 years prior to this uh, when she was alone by herself in the middle uh, of a field uh, and the angel Gabriel came upon her and uh, listen, said, blessed art thou among women. Uh, listen, he conceived in, uh, in, in, uh, in her, the, uh, listen, through the Holy Ghost and she was born, uh, listen, she was impregnated uh, with the Messiah and she gave birth to the virgin, uh, listen, a virgin conception, never been touched by a man. Uh, listen, this was a supernatural birth that was demonstrated. Listen, all these things are ringing through her mind. We need to put ourselves in her place. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now listen, we get into verse 6, and the Bible says, And there were set there uh, six water pots of stone after the manner of the pure fine of Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. <clears throat> and listen, I want to say this. So friends, listen, we see that this was a ceremonial washing. So when uh, people, when they came in uh, uh, to this wedding supper of the Passover meal, or, or many different things that they'd done ceremonially, if you understand this, you go back and you st uh, study the Hebrew literature uh, in the text, you'll see that the seven feasts, these are, uh, listen, and when we see these feasts and we see these great gatherings and multitudes, there was a ceremonial washing that was also uh, to be employed. So we see that this is what is transpiring here. So we see these six water pots of stone. And what are they there for? They are there for the cleansing of the people to wash their hands with prior to going in uh, and taking of the festivities that are awaiting them. So we see six water pots of stone. These water pots right here, I want to talk about these. It says these water pots, they were containing two or three firkins apiece. Uh, listen, so, uh, and, and listen, everything that I could find in history tells us that a firkin, uh, listen, two to three firkins is somewhere between 120 to 180 gallons is what these six water pots will contain. Uh, listen, so uh, we're talking about in excess of a thousand gallons of water. Listen, now the Bible tells us right here, uh, listen, uh, it says, and they were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the, the purifying of the Jews. And, and listen, we've already talked about 120 to 180 gallons of pieces. Jesus said to them, uh, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. What's the purpose of this? The purpose of this is to say, well, uh, listen, it was often uh, in this day and time, listen, when people, and listen, there's a great debate that surrounds this. Uh, was this wine fermented? Was it not? I, listen, and listen, I'm not even here to argue about that tonight, and I'm not even going to take my time to teach about that. If you want to go study it, uh, listen, and you want to understand it, you need to go study it for yourself. Uh, <clears throat> listen, uh, but I want to say this. Listen, we see this, uh, we see this language used constantly throughout the Hebrew Bible, uh, and, and it carries on into the New Testament. So the Bible tells us, and we understand from a historical com uh, context that, listen, uh, that uh, when they would become drunk with wine, that they would often cut the wine with water, which would dilute it down. Uh, listen, and when it was diluted down, <clears throat> it was to the, uh, to the point, to the fact where, uh, listen, uh, that they didn't really care what it tasted like, and that's what they would distribute. So we see here, uh, and, and that's kind of brought to the context here at the end of this. Uh, listen, when we pick up right here in verse number 11 uh, and 12. But listen, getting to this right here, it says, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. So listen, what was the point of this right here? So Jesus was telling them, he said, listen, I want you to fill these things entirely to the brim, running over with water. Uh, listen, there is no additional external wine that are poured into these water pots. And we need to understand this, friends. Listen, uh, we, and if we understand this uh, from this viewpoint, and we can see the symbolism that Jesus uses in this. This is not, this is, uh, this, this whole miracle, my friends, uh, right now is not, is less to do about the miracle of the water being turned into wine and more about the wine itself. And what do you mean by that? Well, let's read this next verse right here. Verse 7, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled him up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. So friends, listen, uh, this is talking about filling the water pots or the Old Testament, fill it up to its brim, fulfill these things, transform these things. Uh, listen, and the old religion is replaced. Listen, all these reli uh, religious rituals and ceremonies are now replaced with a relationship. 
And, and we see this, and this is bringing uh, to the forefront the context of the understanding uh, that this is Jesus showing his identity as the Messiah. As we talked about last week, it's the, all about the identity. And this is what John is trying to uh, bring to our forefront in his entire gospel, is to bring to forefront the fact that Jesus is our Messiah. Listen, that he is the deliverer. I've said this multiple times. I listen, on one of these Wednesday nights, I've tried to not get too preachy uh, so I can teach through these things. But this might get a little preachy tonight. Uh, but friends, listen, we need to understand that Jesus... Jesus is the Messiah. He's not the, uh, listen, he's not the band-aid. He's not the answer to our sin. He is not our fire insurance. He is the Savior of our sin. He is the Savior, the deliverer. He is the, the one who ransomed all humanity from death's grip and bondage to hell and eternity and eternal separation from God. He, has, he is the reuniter. He is the Messiah, the mediator, the advocate. He is the beginning, the end. He is the alpha, the omega. He is all in all. He is the Messiah. And we see now where he is taken and he is exercising the beginning of his public ministry. And Jesus says, fill these water pots with water. So we see symbolism right here. We can see symbolism in humanity. We can see this uh, individually. Uh, and, and I've preached on this multitude of times uh, and related this passage in this text uh, of scripture to an individual. These water pots are individuals. We are filled to the brim at max capacity with our abominable and wicked sin. There is no more room. Friends, listen, we need to understand that uh, we are at full capacity. That if we have broken one law, then we are uh, then we are breakers of them all, and therefore we are at maximum capacity. Sin has encapsulated, it has infiltrated, and it has embodied every morsel, fiber, being, and part of our body. We are filled uh, to the brim. But friends, listen. To, we see this right here. We see this wonderful. Uh, we see this wonderful transaction that that transpires, and we see the miracle of Jesus. Now, listen. The, the scripture is silent. Did he wave his hands over it? Did he speak to it? Did he not do anything? The scripture is silent. The only thing he tells them to do, he said, "Fill the pots with water and reach in and draw out." Friends, listen. We need to understand this. We see the act of faith. We see humanity as they are filled to the brim uh, with our, uh, listen, with our uh, abominations and, and, and the guiltiness and the filthiness and, and, listen, the identity of our sin. We understand that. But when the Bible tells us by faith to draw out, listen, this is a believing act. Uh, listen, uh, Christ could have converted the water to wine, but if they had never drawn the, the water or the wine out of, uh, of the water pots, they would have never known that the miracle had transpired. Uh, so friends, listen, we need to understand this. If we never exercise our faith or our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and the soul-cleansing, saving power and the authoritative sovereignty that he has over, the, uh, over God's plan of salvation, then we will never actualize, you will never, be saved if we never actualize and exercise our faith. Friends, listen to me. I promise you those that never exercise their faith will never run uh, this race with patience because they never started the race to begin with. Uh, friends, listen, we need to understand that you have to exercise your faith. Amen? And we need to understand this. And listen, I want you to go back and you read this yourself in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need to understand here that faith is not a work. Faith is non-meritorious. What does that mean? That means that the exercising of faith in the, admit, in the ad, uh, admitting and admonishing that we are sinners, that we are hopeless and helpless and hellbound without the mediatorial sacrifice and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are eternal, uh, listen, we are eternally lost and hellbound without his advocacy. Our friends, listen, unless we admit those things and believe those things, we will never receive those things. 
but that is not a work of itself. Amen. We see the contrast of faith uh, against works. Now we see where uh, the book of James, and I know that I'm I'm scattershotting tonight. I apologize, but I don't. Uh, <clears throat> listen, in James, we, we see over there where James builds upon that uh, theology of Paul. He said, for you're saved by faith through grace. And then we take James over there and he said, well, I'll show you my faith by my works. Friends, listen, where there is fruit, there must also be a root. And where there is a root, there will be fruit. Amen. If you are saved by the grace of God, uh, listen, Will told me this story, and I read this the other day uh, as well. Uh, talking about a little boy, he was uh, having a uh, discussion with his father. And listen, uh, they have the conversation, and the little boy asked his, his daddy, he said, isn't Jesus a man? He said, well, uh, yes, son, Jesus is a man. He said, well, reckon how big he is. He said, well, I don't know. I guess he's as big as I am. He may be six foot, or he may be uh, six two or three, maybe five, nine, or eight. Uh, listen, I don't know how much he weighs. I'm not sure of what his stature is. Uh, listen, uh, and the little boy looked at his father, and he said, well, if I'm only four foot tall, uh, and Jesus lives inside me, shouldn't Jesus be sticking out everywhere? Amen. Uh, friends, listen, and that is what it means to be saved. Amen. That Jesus will stick out everywhere. Jesus should be manifesting his presence. Uh, listen, the world around us should know that we are saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, born again, justified in the process of being sanctified, one day glorified, redeemed saints of God. Amen. Uh, friends, listen, we should be witnesses to the world. We should be salt. We should be light. All right. I said all that to say, uh, listen, when we, when we see this right here, there's a lot of symbolism that we can draw for this. But we see that this is a miracle. This is the first miracle that Jesus works of his public ministry. Uh, and we see where uh, now in verse number nine, as they begin to draw out uh, the water from these firkins, and they see, and listen, I'm not sure if it was a transformation that was done because, I, listen, I don't know if it was still water in the firkin and it turned to wine when they drew it out. I'm not sure. The scripture is silent. You'll have to formulate your own opinion from when it transpired. But we do know this. As they begin to draw, as the exercise of faith was executed and belief, because Mary had already told them, said, now listen, go fill these water pots to the water, fill them to the brim where they're barely bubbling and running over. <coughs> and whatever he tells you to do, do it. Just do it. Now listen, I'm not sure if they, when they drew this thing out, if they saw the color change, if they didn't see the color change. I'm not sure if there was a color change. I'm not sure if there was an aroma. Friends, listen, there's a lot of byproducts of faith and belief, listen, that we can interject into this. The scripture is silent on it. You have to use an exercise. Uh, your uh, uh, your own judgment and discernment of what you think. Uh, listen, but uh, uh, th this is a place to let our minds run, but we need to understand also that we can tie a lot of different scriptures to this, and I'm not going in that direction tonight. <clears throat> but we need to let the scripture stand and speak for what it says and what it means. In verse 9, the Bible says, When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made uh, wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine when men have well drunk, uh, then that which is worse, but that hast thou kept the good wine until now. Excuse me. <coughs> so now we see where the Bible says that the ruler of the feast, listen, the servant said, came in and they drew out... <coughs> They begin to distribute the wine. <clears throat> and the scripture tells us here that the ruler of the feast, that he came uh, and he spoke to the bridegroom and he said, well, why? Now listen, everybody is well drunk right now. That's basically what he said. <clears throat> and that's exactly what the scripture says, by the way. So listen, uh, you can have all kinds of debate about what this is or what it isn't. Uh, you can have all kinds of debates about what you think and you can try uh, and ramrod everything you think into the Word of God, but sometimes it's just not there. And sometimes you just need to read the Word of God for what the Word of God says. Amen. I, I believe a lot of people uh, would be liberated and free if we would stop trying to 
jam our systems and our ideologies and what we think into the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to us, change us, and conform us. But nevertheless, here we go. And the scripture says, and he says unto them, uh, <clears throat> Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, uh, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now we see in verse 11. So we see this declaration. He said, Why have you saved the best until last? But friends, listen, we get to this point right here. Uh, we just bring to fruition and culmination this. Yes, this is the first miracle. Uh, yes, we see that this is the identity of the Messiah right here. Uh, we see where he had done this in excess. Uh, but overarchingly, friends, listen, this is, <clears throat> I wouldn't say less, but it's just as much about the wine as it is about the miracle. And I hope that you get my point. Uh, uh, and, and when I emphasize that, it's when I say it's as much about the wine, it's about the new wine. It's about the New Testament, the gospel. It's about the Messiah. Uh, when we understand this, it's it's no longer about the Hebrew Levitical priesthood. This is the institution of the Judaic or Judaic Messiah, which shall come from the throne of David out of the tribe of Judah. And listen, which shall be the new wine, uh, fulfilling, not destroying the old, but fulfilling the old and establishing the new. And when he's established the new, those that draw out by faith, amen. When he establishes new, those that draw out by faith and begin to distribute uh, will be the inheritors of it. So now, listen, this is the intention of this. But in verse 11, the Bible says, uh, This uh, uh, beginning of miracles did Jesus uh, in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Uh, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Okay, now, uh, we're going to, we got 30 minutes. All right, we're going to finish the rest of this chapter if you want to hang in there with us. Uh, in verse 13, the Bible says, And the Jews' Passover uh, was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, and found in the temple those that sold oxen, sheep, and doves, uh, and the changers of money sitting. Uh, and when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them, that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I Verse number 19 may be a whole night in itself, but <clears throat> listen. Verse 20, the Bible says, Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, and the disciples remembered that he had said this uh, unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Uh, now when he was in, uh, in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed, uh, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew uh, what was in man. <clears throat> all right. So now we get over here. We see that, uh, that the, uh, his, his mother and his disciples, that they had moved off, and the Bible tells us right here, verse number 13, pay attention to this. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. Now, uh, Jesus was a Jew. And I just saw this right here that uh, uh, we may have a video crash right here. And if we do, I'll put this up uh, on the podcast. So I apologize. Not sure what's going on, but we'll, uh, we'll see if it comes back on right here. Wi-Fi seems to be good. I don't know. Don't know what's going on. Maybe you lost me. Maybe you did. <clears throat> but it says right here, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus uh, went up to Jerusalem. So we understand that Jesus himself is a Jew as well. But he separates them, and he speaks to them right here, and he calls them uh, Jews. He doesn't call them disciples. 
doesn't call them followers. Listen, uh, and, and he's making a point right here. So the Bible says, And the Jews passed over with his hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, and listen, and the Bible says, And they found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and, uh, and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew uh, the tables. And said unto them uh, that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. So we see here where when Jesus had made his way up and he, and he, and he had made his entrance uh, into Jerusalem and he went to the temple uh, intentionally and on purpose. Uh, and the Bible says, and when he made his uh, presence at the temple, we see here uh, where the, we have an assembly of money changers. Uh, and they're sitting here, they're selling ox, they're selling uh, sheep and doves. What they're doing is they're selling sacrificial animals uh, for people who had journeyed a long distance uh, so they wouldn't have to pick up these things uh, and carry them with them from wherever they came from from wherever their home country is. Uh, listen, they could just come to the temple. Uh, listen, they could buy the sacrifices that they needed uh, and that they could make the sacrifices at the time of the Passover. But we see right here where they have assembled themselves as in the court of the Gentiles. What is the court of the Gentiles? The court of the Gentiles is the place where people that were outside of the nation of Israel, we have to understand this from Hebrew uh, 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 concept right here. Uh, so we understand that, uh, listen, in the Old Covenant, that the Jews, the Israelites, that they are God's elect and God's uh, chosen people. Uh, and they are, listen, and you go listen to our te uh, teaching in Romans chapter number 9. Uh, listen, uh, they are not the elect people. Uh, they are not the people that, that God loved so he could reject the rest. These are God's elect lady. These are God's elect people in which he chose to bring forth and birth the Messiah. And in birthing the Messiah, he could therefore save the other nations. But we see right here where Jesus had come. And they are at the uh, uh, they, they are at the temple in Jerusalem. They are at the court of the Gentiles. What was the court of the Gentiles at the temple? The court of the Gentiles was the place when those that were not national nor ethnic Jews, where they could come, uh, listen, and they could search and understand who God was. This is the place where they came uh, as as their inquisition, as they could seek out what is this. What is this Hebrew God? What is Yahweh? Uh, what can he do and can I be a part? But we see right here that the court of the Gentiles in this temple right here, that, listen, that the money changers, they had, they had come in and they had made this a house of merchandise. What does that mean, a house of merchandise? They had distorted the purpose and the intention of the, gent of the court of the Gentiles and the temple and the tabernacle itself. They had distorted its purpose. They had distorted its view. They had compromised all things. They were in this for the money. They were not in this, uh, listen, for so that the Day of Atonement could be achieved and Passover could be celebrated and they could be in alignment, uh, listen, with the uh, Old Covenant. What they wanted to do was make money. What they wanted to do was make themselves a state of prominence. So we see here that Jesus, uh, in his fury, the Bible tells us right here, in verse number 16, and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter number 56. Uh, verse number 57, Isaiah chapter 56, uh, verse, number of, uh, verse number 7, 56, 7, the scripture says, Even them uh, will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar. For mine house shall be called an house of prayer uh, for my people. The Lord God which gathered the outcasts of Israel saith, Ye uh, yet... Will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him? Friends, listen, this is not intended the temple and the tabernacle. This is the place where God dwelled among his people. As we said, uh, listen, in the Passover, on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would enter in to the holy place, it, uh, listen, if we'd pass by, uh, listen, the, mon the menorah, the, 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 the candlesticks, as he would pass through uh, the table of shoe bread. 
and the holy veil and he would enter and make and make his entrance and his presence known into the most holy place in the presence of the mercy seat in the tabernacle the ark of the covenant the cherubims and all things that were resided therein there he would apply the the sacrificial offering upon the mercy seat in the shekinah glory of god would make its witness and its presence known that god had appeased and atoned sin for yet another season and we see this exercise and this was the place where God dwelled among his people and we see that this is the importance of the geography uh, of the nation the ethnic ge geography and nation and, and the physical piece of dirt we call Israel because that is where God resided with his people in the Old Testament this is an important transition point from the old to the new and when he made a scourge of no small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the, uh, and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and a house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered uh, that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Psalm 69, verse number 9. Read this to you briefly. Psalm 69, verse number 9. It reads, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. This is talking about the zeal of the Lord and the zeal of God. I want to read to you one other Old Testament passage, Malachi chapter number 3, 1 through 4. I should have had these marked. Malachi chapter number 3. Verses 1 through 4, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord, uh, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he will come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the, uh, the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord uh, as in the days of old and as in former years. We see right here. Now I want you to pay attention to verse number 18. Now listen, they didn't get mad at him. They didn't throw him out. They didn't stone him. Now listen, you've got to understand that Jesus had appeared at the temple. And listen, at the temple where the money changers were, where, where they were making merchandise over the house of God, Jesus appears. He flips over the, uh, the tables of the money changers. He runs them out. He said, now listen, my father's house is not a place of merchandise. And now listen, I want you to pay attention to what happened in verse number 18, how the Jews respond. Why do they respond this way? I want you to ask yourself this question. Why do they respond this way? Because they were looking for the Messiah. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And that's why I read to you the book of Malachi. Because when they seen Jesus, they saw the zeal that he had for his father's house. They seen how he had reacted. Why? Because they were waiting uh, as, the, uh, as the minor prophet Malachi had spoke to us in verse number 3. And he said, He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver uh, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. In verse number 18, they posed the question to him. What signs showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Friends, listen, they were inquisitive because they knew the prophecy that was coming of the Messiah. And Jesus, in verse number 19, and I'm 44 minutes into this, mine says that it can't play the video, so I'm not sure if you're still there or not. Like I said, I'll put this on the podcast where you can go listen to it later, uh, and maybe I can get it to YouTube uh, as well. But in verse number 19, Jesus gives a declaration. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What's he talking about, friends, right here? He's talking about 
his body. Listen, they are talking about the physical standing temple. Jesus is saying the temple of the New Testament, the new wine that we just discussed, the temple of the New Testament is no longer this physical structure. But the temple of the New Testament is me, is the Messiah, is this body. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and three days I will raise it up. The Jews say, uh, the Jews, uh, then said the Jews, excuse me, 40 and six years was this temple in building and wilt thou rear it up in three days? And so they immediately come back to him and say, listen, this temple took 46 years to build and you're telling me that you're going to reestablish it and rebuild it in three days? Now, verse 21, the Bible says, but the, he spake of the temple of his body. Friends, listen, we need to understand uh, <clears throat> Uh, and I'm not going to get into this in great length or extent tonight, friends, listen, but they are a multitude and a myriad of people today that they are still looking for a future physical, literal temple. They're even trying to fund a future physical, literal temple. But the, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us right here, uh, friends, listen, don't look for a future physical temple don't even look to the one that, that, that we're standing in front of right now. Look to me because I am the new temple. So the Bible tells us, uh, and listen, there, there's a lot of texts that we could read out of the book of, uh, of Ezekiel in 36 uh, and 37. Uh, but I want to read one to you right here. Uh, and, and I read this to you uh, the other day. But listen, we, uh, just follow me right here in Ezekiel chapter number 47. Uh, and this ties in with John 4 as well. We'll probably read this again. Afterward, he brought me again into the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the right, uh, out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he uh, me out of the way to the gate northward and led me about the way without into the other gate by the way that looked eastward and said, Behold, there ran out waters out of the right side. We see right here, this in Ezekiel chapter number 47 is temple language. And when we see temple language, language issued right here, then we see the correlation that Jesus brings right here. What he says is, listen, he said, uh, uh, listen, if you destroy this temple, if you destroy this body, he said, I'll resurrect it in three days. And in three days, listen, after the resurrection of Jesus' body, we see this issuing of the waters out of the right side. Listen, when the stave was shoved in, uh, you see this correlation right here when the stave was shoved in uh, by the enemy soldiers into the side of Jesus. The Bible says, forthwith came uh, blood and water. Uh, this is a, a physical and a literal issuing. At that same moment when Jesus gave up the ghost, we see the physical, literal temple. Uh, listen, uh, the, the Bible tells us in Matthew 27 that there was a, a, a visible shaking, that there was an earthquake transpired. Not only was there an earthquake that transpired, but the Bible says that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom uh, because when the when the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom uh, opening access there and for uh, there into the most holy place no longer did you have to go to that place for sacrificial atoning uh, redeeming uh, sacrifice now you look to the cross of Calvary, and when you look to the cross of Calvary, we see the reinstituted temple in the body of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and from his side issued the waters in which Ezekiel is now speaking to us about. That is the water that is fulfilled in John chapter 4, which is representative of the Spirit of God, the well of the wellspring of the Spirit of God that is now uh, perturbating out of Ever re redeemed, born again, washed in the blood believer. This has done got me preachy. Amen. But listen, I I'm telling you something in verse number 19 right here cannot be understated. Cannot be understated. Uh, friends, listen, we must come uh, from the basis of the text and understand that Christ is the Messiah. He is, his body was the fulfillment of the temple. Uh, listen, and because he is the fulfillment of the temple, he has therefore made us temples or tabernacles. We'll talk about this in John chapter 14. Paul makes this reference in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5.
But we see Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. I cannot reiterate, specify this enough. Go do your own study if you so please. Then said the Jews, 46 years was his temple in the building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake uh, of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said uh, this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So then we see the, the disciples right here. Every time that he makes a, a declaration, that he performs a miracle, we see the belief of the disciples begin to come to fruition. We see that they are grasping. Listen, we, 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 we've understood this. Their Old Testament relationship, when they see the, the fulfillment of the Messiah out of the Old Testament gospel, the Old Testament canon, the 39 books of the Old Testament Bible, we see, uh, listen, where they're constantly reminded of these things and they see the fulfilling of the Messiah. In verse 23, now when he was in, uh, was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, which are untold. Uh, uh, and we can only imagine with our mind what transpired. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew uh, what was in man. All right. We see this declaration made right here. Uh, what a wonderful text of Scripture. We thank God for this opportunity to be with you tonight. We'll pick back up in John chapter number 3, God being our helper. Uh, next week, uh, talk about Brother Nicodemus being born again uh, and the wonderful miracles that God will perform moving forward. God bless you tonight. We love you. We appreciate you uh, logging on and joining and being with us. Like I said, I'm not sure if this is playing or not. Uh, but uh, we'll fix it up somehow or some way. Uh, let's remember Sunday morning. We will be going back in with the fellowship hall. We'll have provisions. If you don't feel comfortable coming inside, which we understand, uh, we will have the radio transmitter set up. If you want to stay in your car, if you want to bring a chair, sit outside, whatever your pleasure is, we'll have the radio transmitter. Uh, we'll be broadcasting Facebook Live as well. Um, so we'll, we'll have all the venues set up, and, and we certainly would encourage you to come. If you feel comfortable, uh, let's come together and worship our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We as a church, as a body, as a nation, uh, we, need, we need God's presence. We need uh, presence. We need his worship. We need uh, an altar to pray in. We need to seek God's face. Uh, God bless you. We love you so very much. I hope the Lord watches over you and keeps you, and good Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning.